Hi, I'm Tefera Jemian. I'm Sanya Mali. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. Before we get started today, um, I have to issue a correction for the last episode we recorded together, which was on Tunisia Desaidier's um, Born Confused, wonderful novel, which we loved. I erroneously said and really, really like hammered home this idea that it is her only book. Um, it is not her only book. That was very much my mistake. Thank you to Tunisia for correcting us on that um, and also just generally being a, a lovely person. We've been interacting with her a little online. Um, her second novel, which is actually a follow-up to Born Confused, is called Bombay Blues. It came out in 2014. I didn't know that. I was very excited to discover that. I now have it, and I'm looking forward to reading it. It's beautiful. The cover art is like, it is a gorgeous book. So, Sorry, <laughs> correcting ourselves. Tanuja Desai Hidye has a second book called Bombay Blues. It is also about Dimple Lala. She is also a musician and has a companion album for it called Bombay Spleen. She actually sampled some tracks for me. It's very cool. And uh, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to like getting the album and listening to it while I read the book. I think that's going to be a great like experience. So she's even cooler than we thought. Hell yeah. We also have an announcement. Uh, this is going to be in two days when this comes out, but the Upford Network is presenting a panel called Podcasting Can Change the World. It is Wednesday, the 17th of July uh, at 6 o'clock p.m. I think the panel itself is going to start at 6.30 p.m. If you're not in Montreal, uh, there's actually remote attendance that is at a pay-what-you-can rate, so we'll have a link in the description with more information about this. It's a live panel featuring several of the Upford Network's brightest podcasters, including me, exploring how this growing medium can be used for social change. How can a podcast actually make a difference? Join us for an evening of discussion as members of the Upford Network delve into how they approach sensitive and significant topics on their shows. Featuring Jim Hughes of Canada's Young Leaders, Aaron Lakoff of Changing on the Fly, Tefra Jemian of the Yeah! Podcast, and Seth Day of Rad Child Podcast. It's moderated by Sruti Islam. Um, there are limited in-person seats available, so if you're in town, uh, try and get a seat. It's going to be intimate. We're going to have like a lot of Q&A. It's going to be super interactive and really great. It is in my dining room. <laughs> um, and if you're not in Montreal, um, get a remote attendance ticket and join us remotely. It's going to be great. I know all of the other people on the panel personally and can vouch for all of them. I'm really excited about it. And we hope to see some of you there in person or in digital presence. What are we reading this week, Sanya? So this week we picked up Dreamland by Sarah Dessen. Um, so Tefer hadn't read this book before, but I read it like back in the day when I was in high school. Uh, it was uh, published in 2000 and it is amazing. I genuinely think I'm in love with this book. I really bad at synopsis, but basically the main character's name is Caitlin. She's 16 years old and one on the summer day of her 16th uh, birthday, her older sister disappears. She leaves home. Um, and I think that kind of sets for like the whole story's tone. Mm -hmm. It's really like showing you how her whole life she's always been kind of compared to or at least she feels like she's being compared to her older sister who seems perfect and yeah it's just from there she meets a guy named rogerson and things take a dark turn and it's honestly so well written and yeah. so beautiful but also really heartbreaking so i love sarah dessen which we have talked about and i never read this book and that is because i am I, I'm not sure where I got this idea, but I had this idea about this book that um, she was in a coma. Okay. So, <laughs> Wait, what? I don't know where I got this idea, but I had this idea that this was a book that was like the internal, like, 
monologue Did you dialogue memories. It with like if I say maybe. Maybe or, that's okay. that's quite it covers very similar kind. Yeah, of. that's quite possibly what mm-hmm. happened. But I really so through the first few chapters of this book, I was like, so when does she get in a coma? Oh my god, I should have told you what it's about because the back. Well, at least my. Well, so then book. I knew it was like I knew it was about um spoilers abuse within a relationship, which it is. Yeah. I do want to put in a content warning. A big part of this book is about a physically violent um, relationship and uh, an abusive relationship and, and, you know, know your boundaries. It may not be for you and this episode may not be for you. Um, I am going to put resources for um, domestic violence in the show notes. Uh, I also want to put in a reminder that people who work in, like, helping people out of domestic abuse situations you don't have to for sure be in a domestic abuse situation to talk to them you can be just like something in my relationship doesn't seem normal and talk to them and they will be very happy to help you work out if it is an unhealthy dynamic or not I have used uh, outpatient resources at shelters I have used um, a lot of online resources and there's really 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 good stuff so if you're even just like not sure (laughs) it's worth it to check it's always worth it to check that said yeah i i thought that her sister ran away and then she got into a coma and then i don't know and you thought like dreamland meant like she's in this weird dream state kind of yeah okay i mean and so i was like that seems really different from sarah dessen's other novels right not too realistic (laughs) um but that's not that's not what it is. It's a pretty classic, like, very well-written Sarah Dessen book. I feel like this one isn't maybe, like, read as much. Like, I know a lot of people that have read Sarah Dessen, and they've never, usually never read Dreamland. Interesting. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, they there's a book called Dreamland, really? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, what did you think about it? I know it was your first time reading it, so what are your impressions? I was really impressed, mm-hmm. um, especially as somebody like who is a, a survivor of domestic violence and you know has spent a lot of time learning about it and learning about kind of the the cycle of violence and things like that. Um, and Sarah Dessen like knows what it is; she gets it just right. The um, the honeymoon phase after an, a blow up, um, the like being on eggshells all the time. I was really impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also really like, I think it teaches a very important lesson, which is that you can never trust a white boy with dreadlocks. Yeah, that was some weird, like, another older and I'm rereading it, I was like, wait, why does he have dreadlocks? What's happening here? It was... Because he's a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, kind of problematic right there, though. Ugh, it was weird. Also, like, he's darker skinned and all that. And I was like, okay, wait. <laughs> yeah, it was. Something's like, fishy. <laughs> I was a little bit like, that's a. But yeah. I think he was definitely white. Oh, he, he's, his he's name's definitely. Rogerson. He's, yeah. 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 Rogerson. Rogerson. I love that she gave him a douchey name. Right? Yeah. Wait, so when you first started reading it, did you know that it was going to be about this? I did. I'm not sure where I picked it up, but I. So I kind of. I didn't have that time of like being charmed by him i was just like ew he's gross from the beginning Mm -hmm. yeah i actually had the opposite reaction when i first read this book i was like right away like hooked i loved rogerson's character and i loved her character and everything was great and then the minute you know it happens i was like wait what Mm -hmm. and now that i'm rereading it for the second time i it's different like i see the red flags right away and I see how unhealthy it is right away. And I'm so glad because when I first read this book, I think I was maybe like 14. And back then, I obviously, I didn't really know much. So in the moment, I thought it was all fine and dandy, just the way Caitlin thinks it is, because I'm reading it through her perspective, right? If I had read this as a teenager, I would have been super into Rogerson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like the classic bad boy who's somehow really smart. And is passing everything <laughs> with like an A plus, yeah. but is literally never in school. I think that more than just that, this book really does a really great job of showing how easily you can lose yourself. Yeah. And Caitlin, from the beginning, you get this impression that she's very kind of lost and she follows in her sister's footsteps. But the day that her sister leaves, I mean, 
she becomes kind of almost like a shell of a person and she doesn't know which way to go, what to do anymore. And she thinks, okay, I'll join cheerleading. And, you know, she starts getting this like a semblance of like a normal life or what it's supposed to be. And she starts, you know, joining these extracurricular activities and her mom gets more involved in her life. Mm -hmm. And yet she still feels like she's not really there. I found that really interesting. I I don't know if I if I recall like ever feeling that way. Maybe a little bit, but not like to the point of like completely like losing yourself and mm-hmm. feeling invisible. But the thing is with Caitlyn, like everyone around her, it's like they they don't even look at her. And it's kind of sad. There's this part near the end of the book where um you know, she's going through a lot with Rogerson with everything in her life, you know. And she looks at her mother and she looks into her eyes and Sarah Dessen, uh, I think she wrote something along the lines of how she wishes, you know, her mother would just look at her yeah. and see everything because it's right there in her face. And yet her mother looks back and smiles and moves on. Like that moment, I find I was like, oof, like I had to put the book down. I always say that, but like, oh, it was just so real, like screaming for help without using your voice. Yeah. It's all yeah. too real. Uh, yeah, um, one of the things that I think Sarah Dessen gets good just right um, is the fact that Rogerson meets Caitlin when Caitlin is at her most vulnerable mm-hmm. because that tracks for abusers look for people who are vulnerable. And I was just looking this up. When they meet for the first time, the first time Rogerson sees her, she is literally like visibly physically wounded. She has a bandage on her arm from a fall in the cheerleading right. um, thing. And... First of all, like first red flag. I want to talk about the red flags because I want to like identify them. Red flag. He negs her the mm-hmm. first time. Nice outfit. She's like, I can't tell if he was joking or not. He is like making fun of her for being a cheerleader. He like touches where she's injured and says like, what happened there? Boundary violation. But also I love that that really drives home that like what he is drawn to is the fact that she's wounded. I didn't even take that in. You're so right. Um, and that is something abusers look for resource number one (laughs) the book uh why does he do that by lundy bencroft it is a um a like the bible of (laughs) abuse relationships lundy bencroft spent years and years and years actually counseling abusers in court mandated therapy and um he identifies very clearly kind of where what abusers look for where they come from where these behaviors come from i think everybody should read it i yeah. like i think it's a really important text but that's one of the things he says is that what they're drawn to is vulnerability they're drawn to somebody who um is not going to fight back and who is kind of ready to lose themselves and i think we see uh, rogerson absolutely doing that with caitlin also that she's like away from her friends when mm-hmm. he calls out to her and he like kind of identifies that she's like not as tied to the group yeah that's red flag number one mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you think about um caitlin's friends especially rena i really like rena or was it rita i think it's rena yeah okay i like rena i like that um i feel that sarah Dustin kind of subverts a trope with rena where rena is the like quote-unquote girl from a broken home she's like you know she she sleeps around she kind of has a reputation or whatever and I love that she is the one who's kind of strong and really knows her identity and is really like stable and constant in the Mm storyline and Caitlin who is the like good kid from a stable two-parent household is the one who's who's more vulnerable because um yeah, I just I just felt like it would have been kind of the easy, lazy choice to be like, yeah. oh, daddy issues, broken home, she's the one who gets abused. And realistically, like, often, you know, I mean, always, domestic violence victims can be anybody, and you don't know. So I love that. I love that Rena just kind of, she seemed to have really good, like, friendship dynamics. Like, mm-hmm. she seemed to kind of understand boundaries and, like, understand kind of letting Caitlin do her thing but she was also there always what do you what did you think that's your you have a different perspective yeah I don't know I kind of so at the end of the book um Caitlin ends up in a care center where she's receiving therapy and 
she thinks to herself that she can't blame anybody, including herself. She can't blame anybody but Rogerson because that's Mm -hmm. Rogerson's fault. He did what he did. And yet throughout the novel, I find it so hard to not place blame on certain people like her mother and even Rena because there are so many scenes where she is visibly like it's just or maybe i can get that sense because i'm again reading from her perspective but there's this scene you know when they go to the the lake i think yeah yeah, and she's just so um caitlin is really afraid of rogerson because if uh, she needs to be on time or else he gets upset so she realizes she's being late and um rena drank alcohol so she can't drive and she keeps telling her to just chill and, you know, stay a little bit longer. And I feel like she could have looked at her friend and been like, okay, my friend is acting really strange. And she does ask her, like, what's up? What's happening with you? Did Ro- is Rogerson, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, but she never, yeah. she never straight out asks, like, are you happy? Are you mm-hmm. safe? Are you okay? And I feel like you should ask these questions to your friends, you know? I'm, like, really annoying because whenever my friends get, like, a new partner... I am like this super protective bulldog and I will like analyze and like just like be super super like quiet and make sure that you know everyone's okay Mm -hmm. and I guess I kind of expected that same thing from Rena and Mm -hmm. I was really disappointed when I didn't see that and not only just Rena I mean even her own mother and father and Boo and Stuart her neighbors nobody really checks in on her and then I mean, I was upset about that throughout the novel, but then at the end, when she kind of realizes she doesn't want to place blame on anybody, I guess like, I guess that's like the healthier alternative uh-huh. to maybe accept that what happened happened and it's horrible. Place the blame on that one person, and I, I yeah, I don't know. I was a bit like, oh, you know. And at the end too, she when she's at the center, her mother comes and apologizes, and so does Rena. And yeah, she's like, why are you apologizing? And even they realize, like, they're like, we should have we should have said something. We should have seen it. We should have asked you if you were okay. And she tells them, you know, it's fine. Well, I think I remember Rena specifically apologizing for that day on the lake, mm-hmm. too, right? That she's yeah. like, I should have seen. She should have. Yeah. But, I mean, I think you've also got to remember that they're 16-year-olds. Yeah. And That's true. Yeah. I mean, I know, like, I had... There was a girl in my high school who was in a relationship that, like, was clearly not good for her, but, like, nobody wanted to, like, butt in. Mm -hmm. It was always, like, well, that's not my business. That's not my business. Yeah. And, like, as an adult, especially because, like, her boyfriend was a guy who I had, like, almost dated and then not, and I kind of felt like I should have. Like, I know as an adult I got to this point of being, like, why didn't I reach out to her? Why didn't I say, like what's going on like why have you changed so dramatically i just think when you're a teenager it's really different the rules are different mm-hmm. and even still i was actually just talking to another friend like now real time almost 30 where she was like i have a friend who just got with a guy who we all think is really bad for her but like like you don't want to interfere right right you don't you don't want to like i guess i'm this like crazy meddling yeah. type <laughs> no it's, i mean and i think people should be more like that honestly yeah. like i i think you don't lose anything by saying hey it seems like this guy doesn't treat you well Mm -hmm. how do you feel about it but i i also think that it's like pretty normal in our culture to not i hate that Mm -hmm. like i understand you know you're not supposed to go into other people's business and ask questions and everything but Mm -hmm. sometimes when something seems off and a lot of the times it is off i've noticed But I think also with the book, like, I think it was easy for people to overlook it because her big sister just ran away. Yeah, it's Um, true. And it was easy to be like, well, like, clearly this is what happened. This is what changed. This is what she's upset about. It makes sense that she'd be X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Um, I did, I will say I got pissed with the cheerleading intervention where their (laughs) approach was to be like, you are not committed, so we're kicking you off the team instead of like, what's going on with your life? But maybe that's just because I'm watching a lot of Glee, and the Glee Club wouldn't just kick you out. <laughs> They'd ask the you what's Glee going Club on cares. in song. Of course. Yeah. I also was reading this at the same time as I watched the like episode in Glee that tackles domestic abuse, and it was like a, it was I don't like know a if lot. I saw that one. It's later in the show. Mm-mm. 
Yeah. But yeah, I think that I often forget that there are 16-year-olds because it just feels so... Oh, I don't know her. Maybe Caitlin's soul is older than she is. Mm-hmm. The way she thinks about things. And she's so mature. She's relatable. She's so yeah. relatable. But she's relatable now. Now that I'm older. But when I was younger, I didn't relate to her at all. When I was like 14 reading this, I was mm-hmm. like, why is she so sad? Right. <laughs> and all this, you know, immature stuff. And I guess that's why I think maybe I expected more from everyone around her. But I guess you're right because... I mean, again, when I was 14 to 16, I I wasn't like that either. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about um, her photography? What do you think about all of that? I love seeing somebody learn to, like, self-care through the arts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I loved that at this point where she was kind of losing a lot, she also gained something mm-hmm. and learned that she was good at something. Yeah. I felt like every single time she was taking a photo of someone in her life... It kind of reminded me of like Dimple. Mm-hmm. A yeah, bit. two photography yeah. books in a row. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. And it just reminded me of how, you know, through this other lens, you can see someone in a different light. And I wonder if that's how she saw Rogerson and then did it. And then that one photo she takes of him where he looks angry. Yeah. Ugh. I loved her photography teacher yeah. warning her, looking at this photo and being like, yeah. he looks like he doesn't like how well you know him. Oof, yeah. That was, yeah, that was, I think, a really good element to mm-hmm. the book. Um, I, I kind of expected her photography teacher to become more of a character. Yeah, me too. I, I feel like he had the potential to be. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. feel like maybe in a previous edit he was. <laughs> <laughs> but I did love that. I loved seeing the relationships she had, like having Boo and Stuart as well as her parents. Mm-hmm. So she kind of had four parents who, like, fill different roles. Boo is just me in 20 years, so I liked her. Like, <laughs> oh, she's amazing. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> so are you. <laughs> I also appreciated this this sort of mystery almost around Cass leaving. Yeah. Because um, Caitlin always sees Cassandra as like the perfect daughter who's like doing everything right by her parents and Caitlin's kind of in her shadow and then when we get to know Cassandra a little bit it sounds like her parents just put an enormous amount of pressure on her to live a certain way and really micromanaged her to the point that she felt like she had to leave and cut ties with them for a while in order to establish herself as like the boss of her own life basically Um, and Caitlin has a very different relationship with her parents where it's almost hands off they almost just don't don't like notice her and then she has to kind of adjust to being more under their scrutiny Mm -hmm. when Cassandra leaves um but then that kind of gets usurped by Rogerson because then he is just scrutinizing every element of her life um but I liked that there was kind of a nod to her parents not being great through Cassandra's experience without it being like everybody in your life is bad to you you know Mm-hmm. I just liked that I really see this book being about the different ways relationships and different kinds of relationships can be abusive because there's Rogerson and Caitlin who are kind of what you think of when you think about an abusive relationship. You know, he is, he is super controlling. He's super jealous. He hits her. Um, and then you have this sort of nod to Cassandra's relationship with her parents being controlling and kind of coercive. And then you have also, um, what's her name? Her friend, Dave and... Oh, Dave and Karina. Karina, yeah. Karina. Where the issue there is really that Dave kind of uses up all of Karina's money and keeps her tied to one place and makes a lot of promises about what the future is going to hold. I love that she included financial abuse in this book Mm because people don't really talk about financial abuse that much, but... Um, it's a really significant portion of how domestic violence plays out if somebody is either um, using all of your money <laughs> without you know checking you mm-hmm. checking with you or controlling all of your money those are both um, significant ways domestic abuse can play out and I loved having that included because abuse is really you know it's any like ongoing consistent violation of your boundaries and those boundaries can be in any area of your life yeah um so i just i really appreciated having the story be bigger than just a boyfriend hits his girlfriend yeah 
you know, I've come across a lot of, of like, YA and even, like, new adult um, novels that romanticized abuse. So, like, the main character would be, like, a whatever girl, and she's just going to a new college, and then she meets a new guy, super controlling and jealous and possessive, like, Fifty Shades vibes, right? Like Twilight. And, like, yeah, Twilight, <laughs> too, and they completely romanticized that, and, like... I think a part of me growing up when I was reading these books, I kind of absorbed that in and I never learned to like maybe draw a line and draw boundaries because the books I was reading, they were kind of kind of like showing me that that type of love is okay because it's passionate or whatever, you know? So now that I'm older and I reread this book, I really think that it is one of the best why books out there. Because there is no romanticizing at all. And if there is, it's just... I don't really... Yeah, what do you think? Do you, do you think there is a little bit in the book or no? No, I, I don't think Rogerson has ever, ever romanticized. And especially when the minute, like the first time he hits her, I mean, from then on, you can definitely see the change in the way that Caitlin perceives him. Yeah. And like, she falls, not out of love, but maybe kind of feels herself drawing away from him yeah every day she grows afraid of him and i'm glad to see that there's none of that you know oh like that apologizing and then like fixing it and all that rather it's just it's just her i don't know how to explain it but she she stops thinking of him as like rogerson yeah the, the guy she first met she starts thinking of him as this is a man who hits me yeah if i don't listen to him and you know even at the end when she's in the care center she misses him yeah and but and she's like why do i miss him i love that she she it really seems like her being drawn to him isn't about loving him caring about him but it's more about like loving that kind of direction like like she loves that she can just kind of get in his car and he'll just drive her around mm-hmm. and she just doesn't have to think about things yeah um, he was a distraction. Yeah, exactly. And that's an appeal. I mean, I think everybody can yeah. understand of just kind of I that surrender of just like, I don't have to think about things. I can just kind of get high and float around. Yeah, um, exactly. Dreamland. But like, unfortunately, it comes with if I break any of the rules, there's like, yeah. I also really appreciated that she she really wrote in the cycle of violence, um, the cycle of violence or the cycle of abuse is uh, something that was written by. Lenore E. Walker um, in 1979, a researcher who interviewed um, 1,500 women who had been subject to domestic violence, found there was a similar pattern called the cycle. And the phases are, the first phase is tension building. It's sort of like when stress gradually builds. So at the beginning of the relationship, it's like after the honeymoon period things, you know, when real life gets in there. And during this time, the victim tries to kind of be compliant and go along with it. Then there's acute violence, um, which can be aggression. It can be passive aggression. It can be psychological abuse. It can be insults. It can be um, any number of different kinds of violence. It doesn't have to just be physical violence. Um, Then there's the reconciliation honeymoon period, which she specifically talks about, like, the first few days after he hit me, he would be super nice, and we would get along, and, like, it would be nice. And I love that she doesn't write those scenes. I love that she just talks about them, Mm -hmm. and the scenes that she writes out are when it's bad, because that's what's important. Exactly. The honeymoon period means nothing. The honeymoon period is just how they get you to stay. And then the fourth stage is the calm, sort of after the honeymoon period, that just, like, slides into the... um, tension building period again um the learning about the cycle of violence was what like helped me identify Mm -hmm. abusive relationships in my life um because that's it like what when you're a victim what you do is you see the honeymoon period and you go but this time was nice but this time was nice and you need to do the work of looking back and going okay all the times that were nice what happened just before them yeah and honestly like in this book I think that, like, the main word I would use to describe Caitlyn... Well, there's so many, but I, I don't know why, but the word alone sticks out. Yeah. She is alone most yeah. of the time. Even when she's surrounded by her friends or her family, she's so lonely. And I, I wonder if it, it was like this before her sister left, too. Because the book starts off right right away. Like, she, she's gone, her sister's gone, and, you know? And mm-hmm. she slowly delves into this, like, dream state. Yeah. 
<clears throat> where she's very kind of lost and just drowning and she doesn't even want to not drown she doesn't want to save herself she just wants to keep getting in deeper and deeper yeah uh, i really liked how in the book uh there was that mermaid metaphor uh from the poem the love song of alfred yeah. proof rock yeah i thought that was really beautiful yeah she's in in class and she gets her teacher asks her something about the line like I have heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think that they will sing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she sort of gets into the mermaid lore of mermaids, like dragging men to their death. And it is really that she feels kind of held down, right? She feels like she's being dragged down and the, the mermaid song is beautiful. Yeah. And I love like the last sentence of the book. If I could just read it. It's uh-huh, like amazing. Um, at the end of the book she leaves the care center and she's back at home and her sister is there and she's seeing her after a very very long time and the last sentence is uh, but for that one instant I concentrated on reaching the surface feeling the water break across my face as I burst through it into the air to finally breathe on my own I was like oof that is perfect this book is so great I wish that everyone would read it yeah 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 I want to circle back to what you were saying about her being alone Mm -hmm. and I think there's kind of a few things going on there but one thing is that she and Cass were really close and she didn't really feel like she needed um like she had Rena but it seems like she she was sort of okay with having just a small circle of people and that was enough for her because for some people it is and then when Cass leaves she has this vacuum and initially she she kind of copes with it in healthy ways like she decides she's going to join cheerleading even though she's not that interested in cheerleading because it'll like fill her time and it'll give her friends and she'll spend time with Rena um and she does the photography class with her mom and uh boo um but Rogerson kind of sees that vacuum and slips in mm-hmm. and then as abusers do very carefully isolates her from her friends tells her her friends are lame and dumb and cheerleading is stupid gets her kicked off the cheerleading team by making her be late to practice and miss things because she has to spend every moment of time with him um basically he sees her in a vulnerable moment and then he extends that vulnerable moment as long as he can so she's like in a moment of isolation when they meet um and instead of as a good partner would do encouraging her to reach out to people being supportive of her doing something that makes her happy or that gives her friends he cuts off all of her connections what I find really interesting is that then she meets Corinna Mm -hmm. and she meets Corinna through I'm sorry I'm saying Corinna and Corinna like exchangeably because I'm not sure which one it is (laughs) Um, she meets her through Rogerson. And what I find so amazing is that I feel like Karina is the one who finally gives Caitlin sort of this idea that you can leave because she leaves David and she goes off and she's like, no, I'm going to make my own dream. And even though, I mean, Caitlin finally is rescued from her relationship with Rogers and I'm so glad he goes to jail we don't see that enough. We don't see abusive guys going to jail enough. Ugh. Normalized domestic <laughs> abusers going to jail in media. God, it made me happy. I was like, yes! <laughs> He's, yes! He's getting handcuffed and taken away in a cop car, and that is how it should be. I couldn't remember the ending of the book, so I was worried that she bumps into <sighs> him again. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad she does not. Yeah, yeah. But I did like this kind of... Rogerson thinks it's safe for her to meet Karina because he kind of thinks Karina is controlled by Dave and Dave mm-hmm. is like him and that he thinks that's like a safe dynamic. Yeah. And then it's like, no, women are stronger than that. Yep. <laughs> like, you get two of us together and we're going to find ways to support each other. Like, it's just, yeah. What did you think about the scene where we see Rogerson's dad hitting him? What, like, what do you think was the purpose of that scene? I was glad that scene was included. I think that was an important scene. Very often, abusers have been abused. That does not excuse that behavior. (laughs) Um, But I liked the nod to kind of the generational trauma of the abuse cycle and that abusive parents teach their kids to be abusers. I worried a little bit about it making readers sympathetic to Rogerson, but I think Dessen did a pretty good job of establishing it it. yeah no not an excuse 
Yeah. I think it also was important in giving Caitlin motivation to stay even when she got hit because it gives her something to justify. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's something I've heard like so many people be like, well, yeah, he hit me or he hit her. But like, you know, he got hit. His dad hit him. So like, you know, that's so it's understandable. And as well, like, no, it's not. It's not understandable. <laughs> like it happens, but it's not OK. What did you think of Cass's character? I keep asking you questions, but it's so refreshing it's okay. it's to hear like nice. a new thoughts on this. It's kind of nice to to just be like interviewed. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love hearing what you have to say. But what did you think about her sister? I liked Cass. Cass is like a smart, empowered young woman who sees her life going in a direction she doesn't want it to go, sets real firm boundaries, but like not heartless boundaries. Like she doesn't just disappear, you know? She runs away, but she tells, she contacts her parents to say, I'm okay, but I need space. And then sort of as time goes on, she very gradually is like, okay, we can call regularly now. Okay, I'm going to come visit. But like she's very clearly setting those boundaries and saying like this is what I'm doing with my life and like this is non-negotiable and I don't want you to violate it Mm -hmm. there's one part in the book uh, at the beginning when her parents are really really worried about who she's run off with um I think it's Stuart her neighbor the neighbor and he's talking to uh Caitlin's dad and he's like you shouldn't be too worried I know it sounds stupid but I mean, I did the same thing, like, with uh, Boo when we were kids, and now look at us. And That was, like, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. like, and, you know, you raised her really well, and she's smart. She wouldn't choose a partner who wouldn't treat her well. Yeah. And yeah. the dad's like, I hope so. Yeah. And, and Caitlin's listening to this, and then a couple of, I think that's before she meets Rogerson, right? Yeah, right before. And I couldn't help but think about that throughout the book. And how often I think victims probably, as as Caitlin does in the book, she blames herself. Yeah. And that itself is such a difficult obstacle to go through. Yeah. But it's I'm really glad that Sarah Dessen shows us that uh, at the end of the book where she stops. Well, she still, of course, does blame herself because it's not like easy. It's yeah. not like it'll, you, it's not you like it'll happen. Yourself, yeah. Even though it's not your fault, you always but she, I like the fact that she really puts an active effort to not do it. Yeah. I think it's important also to like note that Rogerson does meet Caitlin's family and does charm Mm -hmm. Caitlin's family because it's like oftentimes when you know somebody who is a victim of domestic abuse, it's not something you could clock. Like they'll be super charming with your family. They'll be super charming with your friends or isolate you from your friends, which is what Rogerson does. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he comes over at trivia night and is like, oh, I know trivia really, really well and like wins at trivia and is super charming. And they're like, oh, Rogerson, he's great, you know, which is just not to say like, I think parents have a responsibility to teach their children how to spot abusive dynamics. I think that's something that we really fail teenagers on, like part of whatever sex ed you teach should be how to spot abusive relationship dynamics. But also just like the understanding and the compassion to know that like you can't always protect your kids. And sometimes like, yeah, you don't always know the mermaid is going to pull you to the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Yeah. I also really liked how um, throughout the book, she kind of like has this weird distant but close relationship with her mom I think and she kind of sees her mom as a stay-at-home mom who's kind of cookie cutter and bakes for the bake sale and attends meetings and then at the end of the book when she's at the care center and her mom is visiting her there's a part where she says uh but now I was looking at her as a woman rather than just a mom who goes to PTA meetings and bakes and I really love that I see a lot of parallels with this book with, I think, not coincidentally, um, Just Listen, yeah. which is another... I think that's why I love it so much. It's, uh, I mean, it's another just masterful Sarah Dessen novel. Yeah. I think she really excels when she is writing about difficult things mm-hmm. uh, and also sister relationships. She's really yes. good at sister relationships. So good. Um, I forget. Do you have a sister? I have two. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I think that's why when I first started reading her books, I was like, I understand this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I found a similar dynamic with, like, when Annabelle's re- developing a relationship with her mother now yeah. that her big sisters are out of the house. I see really the same thing. It's of true. Now, 
Caitlin is relation is developing a relationship with her mom now that Cassandra's kind of out of the house. Um, mm-hmm. And I imagine, I mean, I don't have teenage children yet, <laughs> not for a little while, thankfully. <laughs> um, but I imagine that there is a point that you kind of like, I don't know, ask me in 10 years, but when you have like an older kid and you're sort of like helping them through adolescence, I imagine that your second kid can kind of sneak up on you. And it's like, okay, I've been helping this kid through adolescence because it's a tricky stage. And then when I wasn't looking, my other kid is also an adolescent. And whoops, like I, I missed some stuff. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that it's very hard not to do that mm-hmm. um, sometimes. I don't think her parents are bad parents. I think that they're they're good. They're great. I just think that sometimes they weren't paying attention. But I yeah. think that that's really easy to do. Yeah. It's so hard to constantly pay attention to everything at all times. And I really like that at the end, you know, we see her mom in this kind of human first light. I always say that, but I always try to remember that my parents are people first. And I was glad to see that in this book, too. Because even at the beginning, of course, I was like reading it from her perspective. So I was super angry on her behalf and I hated her parents and hated everyone. I was like, why is no one paying attention to her? Can you not see she's wearing like such a like why is she behaving this way is no one paying attention but you know by the end of the book i kind of realized i mean it's it happens unfortunately and it's it's very easy to do it yeah to just look away for one instant and and you know even even at the end of the book where um when rogerson is hitting her and then the neighbor i think or it's there's a party going on and uh someone at the party sees it happening outside on the front like lawn And so, you know, they call 911 and then the mom just comes running outside and she's screaming. Yeah, yeah. I thought that scene was very, like, interesting. When I first read this book, I didn't expect it to be, like, I didn't expect that to be the part Mm -hmm. where everyone finds out. I really expected her to show up at her mom's door one night and be like, listen, this is happening. And yeah. I think that was me being naive at 14 because that's not how it goes. I think or it's maybe often it how it's written. It's often yeah, how Yeah, that's it how I've books. seen it, right? I haven't seen... Like the main character yeah. has to find this courage from deep within and come through and be like, hey, this is happening to me. Yeah. But it's always the case. It's so hard, you know? And it really destigmatizes yeah. um, getting help. Yeah. Like I like that because... There's really a narrative for survivors of like, but you found the courage and you stepped away. And I think that ends up stigmatizing a little bit like people who who maybe didn't, who maybe like were separated from their abuser because somebody called the cops or because, you know, somebody noticed and Mm -hmm. confronted him. Um, And I like that that's included because I think it's important to include that in that narrative. That's not my story, but like, but I could see it being really important for for people for who it is their story. Yeah. And I also just loved giving her mom that moment of being able to confront him and and being a mother protect her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hate Rogerson. So much. Yeah, it's just he's honestly probably one of the worst characters in all of the books that I've read. There's a there's a long list, but I love so much (laughs) that he is just unapologetically a shit. He's trash. Yeah, I love that. Even when you know, like, there's no there's no romanticizing of Rogerson at all. Like, I love it. It's so refreshing compared to other books that I've read. You know. Yeah. Yeah, the most we get is just that, like, he's, like, cute enough. He's different. So he's alluring because he's different. Which, like, I don't know. I don't know what kind of a teenager you were, but I was the kind of teenager who was, like, I'm an old soul, and, like, I think I'm too mature for all these high school boys. And the number of close calls, I don't know what guardian angel was protecting me in high school, but the number of scuzzy, too old for me guys that I almost dated in high school... I did date one of them, thankfully, again, some guardian angel. It was long distance, so he wasn't able to do very much. But it was gross. 19-year-olds shouldn't date 14-year-olds, period, ever. And that was actually something. I think that was, like, the one relationship that my sister was kind of like. she She was like, not only is he too old for you, but, like, that guy i remember her just being like that's <laughs> that? that's the guy like that's the older guy you're oh da- like God. what him <laughs> like some huge jackman type right she was and like, like he could at like least be cute. yeah <laughs> like but he pays attention to me oh god um, that 
But that's it. It's like when you're when you're 16 and you see a guy who's like not like the other guys. And he's like, you're not like the other girls. The other cheerleaders are dumb, but I'm going to hang out with you. Like, there's something really alluring to that. And until you just wade through enough of those scuzzballs to identify them and to be like, oh, wait, no, I know this line. I've heard this before. Um, It's unfortunately just like when I think about the things that teenage girls have to go through to get to be confident women it's like no i don't just like it's just like why why are we all expected to go through a controlling boyfriend at least once like it sucks yeah but like i genuinely have seen it so many times everybody has one yeah i think everyone i know has gone through that yeah oh yeah because we're not teaching teenagers to identify the signs of abuse we are teaching them to go for edward cullen yep like we're and and we're not teaching them that abuse is way beyond hitting you can be in an abusive relationship for years and never be hit um one of the really 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 helpful things that somebody at some point told me can't remember who it was i think it was probably my counselor at the outpatient shelter said if you're in an abusive relationship and you're not getting hit, it's because you're not getting hit yet. Okay. And was like, you know, if an abuser can control you without hitting you, he's not going to hit you because he doesn't want to output that energy and it's much easier for him to get caught. If he can control you in other ways, he will. I am saying he. I don't want anybody to jump down my throat, but just disproportionately abusers are men. Because we live in a culture of toxic masculinity that normalizes abusive re- behaviors and um, toxic masculinity is bad for men. Yep. So don't get up my butt about that. I know there are women who are abusers. Disproportionately abusers are men. I am also going to attach, just like another resources thing, I'm going to attach the link to a TED Talk on YouTube. And I can't remember the name of the woman who gives it now, except that she's good. And I know somebody who actually worked with her once. Um, But it's called Unmasking the Abuser. It's a TED Talk on YouTube. It's about 20 minutes long. And it's kind of like if you're not going to read Why Does He Do That, you can watch a 20-minute TED Talk and get, like, the the Sparks notes. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. And and she talks about the hallmarks of abusive relationships and the red flags, basically. So I made my partner's little sister watch it and was like, these are the red flags. Pay attention. Gonna watch that ASAP. Yeah, it's very, very good. But that's it. We need to be teaching kids these red flags as they're getting to dating age. Yeah. They need to see that. You're right. Yeah. Because growing up, the only time I really did see it was in books like Twilight and can't name any names right now but oh so many books and movies where the guy was super possessive and i thought it was charming and now i look back and i'm like gross like if a guy even talks to me that way i'm literally running like it's like normalized it's so normalized and you know it's still where were you who were you with it's like you don't get to ask that Mm -mm. like you don't get to demand that Mm -mm -mm. if i didn't like inconvenience you like sure if we had plans and i didn't show up that's different but like I was trying to call you, like, oh, I'm sorry. Did we have plans? Did I say I was going to be available at that Leave time? Leave a text. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, and that's it. Actually, um, I saw a really wonderful PSA poster from Quebec um, that was just, like, somebody's phone with, like, 40 texts mm-hmm. being, like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Why aren't you calling? Why aren't you calling? That says, that's this is abuse, too. my mom. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe different with parents. For brown kids. I'm like, oh, it's like daily struggle. But, yeah. But, like, you know, you don't owe anybody constant checkups. You yeah. don't owe anybody your location at all times. There, You know, there's courtesy, but I think we all know the difference. Yeah. 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 And if you don't know the difference, please look into it. Yeah. Yeah, for real. So we're going to attach some good resources in the show notes on this. Um, It's just so important to know that, like, you deserve to be with a partner who doesn't make you feel like you're walking on eggshells. You deserve to be with a partner who doesn't make you feel anxious. And quite frankly, if you're with a partner who makes you feel like you're walking on eggshells and makes you feel like you are anything less than whole and worthy and beautiful and loved, 
it is better to be by yourself. Yes. It is It is always better to be by yourself than to be with somebody who makes you feel like shit. Always. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Yeah Podcast and individually at Sanya Malik X. I'm at Tepper Bear. If you like this show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Erica Stitchberry, Catherine Resch, Kat V. McGuire, Chantal Thomas, and Lizzie Tenhoff. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Public. We just got some merch delivered this week because we're sending out our merch bundle to the winner of our raffle. And um, it's great. We got like a whole bunch of stuff. I don't want to list it because I don't want to spoil the package <laughs> for her, but it's all very cool and very good. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating or re- rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or even Facebook, honestly. Um, your reviews help us out so much. And by sharing this episode with a friend. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song, Jenny's Groove, as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This show was produced by me, Tefra Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives, and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.